Hi there, I'm Gavin Crawford. I'm a writer, an actor, and a comedian. And for the last eight or nine years, I have been navigating life with my mother's increasing dementia. Has it been sad? Yeah. Has it been funny? Also, yeah. That's what my brand new podcast series, Let's Not Be Kidding, is about. It's the true story of my life as a comedian, my mom, and dementia. Let's Not Be Kidding, with me, Gavin Crawford. A new seven-part series from CBC Podcasts, available now. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Peter Oldring. And I'm Pat Kelly. And you're listening to This Is That, the show that brings you stories you won't hear anywhere else. Are you people mad? This gives me great grief. Thank you. The very thought of that offends me. It's a terrible idea. Documentary. Oh, I just love the idea. Come on. Interview. I just couldn't believe my ears. This is that. Anyone who has ever visited the city of Montreal will recognize that it's probably the most bilingual city in North America. But some people living there think this progressive policy around bilingualism is actually failing our canine friends. Benoit Leduce is a city councillor that believes if dogs in Montreal are going to be in public, they should understand commands in both French and English. He joins me now to tell us more about this policy. Hello, Mr. Leduce. Uh, hello, Pat. How are you, sir? Uh, well, you know, <laughs> to be honest, I think I'll, I'll be doing better once we've uh, sorted through this the, this mess of an issue. Okay, well, it, I want to talk a little bit more about this. So why is it that you want to change the rules in Montreal dog parks so that dogs would have to understand both English and French commands? Uh, well, but... Uh, the current situation in, in Montreal dog parks is, is, is untenable uh, chaos. Uh, after dogs are, are being uh, getting their command in French, the other are getting their command in, in English, and uh, the various uh, dog uh, commands are, are incomprehensible to, to each other. Uh, to, to illustrate the point with, with the experience of my own, uh, about two weeks ago I, I was in the, the park with, with my own dog and, and, and a large Anglo dog, uh, um, he leaped uh, up onto my uh, shoulder and, and began to lick and kiss. And so I looked him in the eye and I said, uh, you know, Vatan, bonhomme, away. Which means roughly translated, uh, hey, you know, go out of this place, uh, fun guy, go. And uh, the dog <laughs> looked back at me, total incomprehension. I mean, our, our, our alienation from each other was, was absolute. So you really think that dogs not understanding both official languages is an issue? Uh, well, I think <laughs> you have to weigh it against the alternative path, which is that we're going to, what, turn each of, of the city's dog parks and into a, a renewal of, of the Plains of Abraham every every Saturday morning. We're not saying you've got to go and turn your dog into to a super dog to go on the, the David Letterson show and, and do this stupid trick. Uh, program. It's uh, we're saying basic stuff. Eighty or ninety command that they would speak in both uh, French and in English. Sit, lay down, roll over. Okay, I think we we understand. Do you want, do you want to go for a walk? Yes. So, 
If you do get this bylaw passed, then what would dog owners have to do? Uh, okay, as you know, the city is involved in in, in the life of, of an owner and pet. Uh, you you come to make sure you have the shot, you, you know, uh, etc. Um, when you come in to do all those other uh, things at the city level, a city employee will also do just a basic test to ensure that they understand basic uh, command in both uh, English and French, in, in both the official language. So okay. in effect, uh, you would no longer just say, uh, milieu. You, you, would, you would say, milieu. Milieu. Okay, now what would you say to dog owners that are not bilingual themselves? It would become very time-consuming and expensive to teach a dog a new language. Expensive or opportunity, I mean, it's... Which way do you want to look at it? Obviously, individual owners will, will benefit from, oh, I did not know that that's how you said walkies in French. I, I didn't know that's how you say, uh, you, you want to go for a ride? Uh, oh, good. So now suddenly, just by having a dog, I'm opening up to different uh, thoughts and knowledge. Uh, a lot of people uh, don't realize that we're not saying that the pet all have to speak French. We're saying that the, the French dog as well must learn uh, some uh, English uh, commands. You know, if, if uh, Jacques Parizeau comes to the park with his, uh, his, his uh, beautiful schnauzer uh, named uh, Nelligan after after the uh, a great poet of Quebec, Emile Nelligan, uh, if he says, uh, Ah oui, Nelligan, arrête-toi de... de say sur l'affaire, he has to say as well. An elegant stop to make uh, a urine on, on that thing. And uh, I think if we make a little bit of room for growth uh, for both a, a two-leg and four-leg uh, citizen, that's uh, okay by me. Well, I want to thank you for being on the program, Mr. Leduce. Uh, when are you hoping to get this bylaw passed? Oh, well, th- this is a, a priority for us. I'm working on it day and night, and we're hoping to get it wrapped up by the time we get to tennis ball season in the summer. When the story you just heard originally aired, we received a lot of feedback. Here's what real people had to say about dogs in Quebec having to understand commands in both French and English. Hello, I'm phoning about that bilingual dog park. You have got to be kidding. I have never heard of anything so ridiculous. I mean, come on, get real. I think the dogs in Montreal should have to become bilingual. I think that's a great idea. Why? 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 First and foremost, I think it's just utterly outrageous and incomprehensible in regards to having a dog learn two different languages. I got a dog that barely understands one language. Oh no, oh no. What will I do at the bilingual dog park? When I went to the vet, I said, hmm, I suppose now I'll have to take French lessons. Now if I start to teach him French, how's he ever going to struggle with my accent? I do not understand this. I have four dogs of my own, and I'm sorry, but when I say sit down, they sit, and when I'm sure that the dog would understand, it, it makes sense. Learning English or French is just completely irrelevant to a dog's form of communication. It's the tone of voice not the language. I think it's absolutely ridiculous for city government to get involved in how we instruct our dogs or family. And I think dogs should be allowed to 
Rome in whatever language they prefer. The government needs to have better things to worry about than chaos in the dog park. This is Hunt and Release. What is it? Is that a termican? You want the shot? You want it? Give me, give me a small dart. Give me a small dart now. Oh, shoot. I missed him. Well, I don't think it is. Oh, he's down. He's down. My name is Patton Warwick, and uh, I am an animal enthusiast. Uh, and I practice hunt and release. Oh, look at him. Oh, I want to give him a kiss. Oh, I'm going to give him a kiss, Barry. Sure. My name is Barry Hollerin, and I am a hunt and release hunter. Basically what uh, hunt and release is, it's uh, practicing the uh, traditional ways of hunting, but you're not actually killing. We shouldn't have done all that skidooing yesterday because my back is very sore. It sort of is, is the best of both worlds. If you're an animal lover, but you also enjoy the act of hunting, uh, well, this is exactly what it is. You, uh, you know, you use tranquilizer darts, and you put the animals to sleep, and then you get to spend that quality time with these beautiful animals. Yeah. Up here is a little camp that we built in the, in the springtime. So we're almost there. This will be... Barry, 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 down, 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 there, right over there. That's a buck. It's a young buck. Okay. Do you want to take a shot at this? You, you, you can actually, you know, uh, hunt and release any animal. There's, there's no animal you can't hunt and release. You know, we'll come out and get big game, or sometimes we'll just, you know, go at some birds. Uh, you have to be careful, though. You know, we kind of learned this the hard way. You can't put a tranquilizer in a goose when it's flying. <laughs> you, you've kind of got to wait till it lands. Prop it up on your knee. I can't be steady here. Oh, okay. I can't be steady. Okay. Oh, Barry, you got it! Oh, Barry, you got it! Once the animal's fully sedated, uh, it's just a time for us to kind of uh, go up and, and take some pictures and, and kind of get our hands on the on the little guy. Uh, yeah, I have a kind of a funny thing. I, I Every animal that uh, that we put to sleep, no, I give just, a kiss. It's kind of squirming on the ground there. It's not asleep yet. Oh, my God. Look at it. Look how big he is. That's a seven-point buck. Oh, my God. You know, for me, once you once you put one down, there's nothing more exhilarating than putting your body right next to it and, and feeling its warmth and uh, feeling its breath. Because when are when are you ever going to get to do that? Well, I mean, to be able to say that you you, you nestled up and I don't, I don't want to say snuggled, but it's I mean it is with a with a moose. All right, let's take a picture here. All right, hold on, let me pick up his hoof. Hold uh, on. Okay. Can you see his hoof in frame? Yep. There <laughs> we go. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> Did I get it? Oh, look at it. Oh, it's it's a, it's an exhilarating experience. Well, and, you know, you'd swear that the things are dead, but of course their hearts are going, so they're alive, but they're just they're limp. So you can kind of have some fun and and we'll you take know, video and oh, pictures, yeah. put them in positions, funny ones. We uh, we have a couple of funny pictures where we're kind of. You know, putting the animals in, in sort uh -huh. of funny positions. Uh -huh. I'm going to get him up on his back haunches. Look at this guy. Oh, I'm standing. <laughs> oh, I'm standing. Oh, Ooh. We'll give them to the wives or whatever at oh, Christmas. We and... have a pretty funny, uh, I have a pretty funny shot of Barry. Uh, do you remember that raccoon that you had on your head? It just looked like you had a raccoon hat, but it was the actual whole thing. <laughs> I called the photo Davy Crockett. <laughs>
Uh, a traditional hunter will say, will talk about the thrill of the kill and how exhilarating it is. Well, we have a, a saying, we call it the thrill of the sleep and just how thrilling it is to get that animal in your sights, hit him with a tranquilizer and that thing goes to sleep. Hi there, I'm Gavin Crawford. I'm a writer, an actor, and a comedian. And for the last eight or nine years, I have been navigating life with my mother's increasing dementia. Has it been sad? Yeah. Has it been funny? Also, yeah. That's what my brand new podcast series, Let's Not Be Kidding, is about. It's the true story of my life as a comedian, my mom, and dementia. Let's Not Be Kidding, with me, Gavin Crawford. A new seven-part series from CBC Podcasts, available now. Well, it is always such a treat when renowned linguist and pronunciation expert Nev Shondell stops by our studios to remind us all to choose our words carefully and pronounce them correctly. Nev, welcome back to This Is That. Thank you for having me, Peter. And before we get too far into this, I need to correct you on your pronunciation of the word pronunciation itself. Okay. Now, how did I just say it? I wasn't even thinking. You made the common mistake of pronouncing the word as it's incorrectly spelled, P-R-O-N-O-U-N-C-I-A-T-I-O-N, pronouncing it pronunciation. But the correct spelling and pronunciation of pronunciation is P-R-O-N-U-N-C-I-A-T-I-O-N, pronunciation. Okay, so I put an O where the U was. So we are focusing today on pronunciation. Pronunciation? Pronunciation. Okay, well, so now tell us about some of the words that people commonly mispronounce. Some of the famous ones that we all know, schedule, schedule, which one mm-hmm. is it? It's, of course, schedule, potato, potato, it is. tomato, tomato. Okay. Prescription, prescription. You prescribe. You to need prescribe. to prescribe so, them with a prescription. P-R-E-S-C-R-I-P-T-I-O-N. Prescription, not Prescription. Isn't that interesting? I've never even heard it pronounced that way or pronounced that way. You probably haven't. You probably haven't. Now, did you, was that a misspeak or did you mean to say probably? P R O B A B L Y. Probably. 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 Tell us what is the most mispronounced word. What, what do you find is the most mispronounced word? Voluptuous. Really? V O L U M P T U O U S. Voluptuous. No, you're saying it wrong. Is there no V O L U P T U O U S? Okay, so there is no M because in the spelling before. Ah, because you were giving me right. You were giving me the incorrect. Voluptuous. It's incorrect. Tell me a little bit about how you would say mayonnaise. Mayonnaise. I'd like to have some mayonnaise on my sandwich. I don't don't think think so. so. (laughs) I would like to have some mayo. Maze. Everybody drops the Y. They do. So here are a couple of words that I want to test you I with. I certainly them. hope they're relevant. Oh dear, yes, that is one. I hear that all the time, relevant. How would I pronounce C-A-C-O-L-O-G-Y? One more time, please. C-A-C-O-L-O-G-Y. Mm, yes, of course. Calligraphy. Calligraphy. Okay. O-S-C-I-L-L-A-T-E-D. How, do, how would I pronounce that? O-L-C. 
Oh, no, sorry. Okay. O O S C I L O O. Okay. Just yeah. My oh, goodness, you're saying right. oscillated. Yes, you're spelling oscillated. Yes, um, and um, and are you saying that correctly? It depends on what dictionary you're using. And and is it polite uh, to offer a correction? Excuse me, I've I've heard you misuse a word. Is that something that you, that you would do? Well, I do. Yes, of course. I I make a point of correcting people when I hear the words not coming out of their mouth correctly. Well, I certainly thank you for your time, Nev. It's always a pleasure to be politely corrected by you uh, so that we can uh, know exactly how we are meant to pronounce some challenging words. Well, I want to thank you for having me, and hopefully we can go after this interview and have an espresso. Yes. Not an espresso, please. Not an espresso. And I will serve it with a scone. Couldn't believe my ears. That's ridiculous. Come on, give me a break. This is that. Earlier this week, a pilot for one of North America's largest airlines was officially grounded, having his aviation license temporarily suspended. The airline's actions were not due to unsafe pilot practices. Rather, Captain Bruce Lindsay has been punished as a result of some of his onboard announcements. Mr. Lindsay says he's being unfairly reprimanded, and he joins us on the line to tell us a little bit more about his side of the story. Hello, Mr. Lindsay. Hi, how are you? I'm doing very well, and yourself? Great. Please call me Captain Bruce. I haven't been called Captain Lindsay since aviation school. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, Captain Bruce, uh, I guess for those who have not heard the story, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about exactly why it is that you were suspended from your work at the airline? Well, uh, you know, I, I, I have to tell you that uh, there's a certain part of me that has the same question. I'm not entirely sure why. Uh, you know, you have to bear in mind that uh, aviation in the in the last few years has changed significantly. Uh, one of the biggest changes is some of the casual nature that happens on board. Uh, this is no longer, a, you know, a very serious, sterile experience. Uh, uh, in flight, uh, it can be quite entertaining. And us as pilots are also welcome to uh, use the PA to uh, add a little bit of levity, mm-hmm. to add some entertainment to the in-flight experience. Yes, and I, that's, well, what I, that's what I did. Okay, so uh, in this instance, uh, you were, uh, I guess, it's part of your regular practice during a flight then to to deliver uh, comedy. Well, yeah, the... I, I mean, and, and listen, this is you know, this is kind of light stuff. For instance, at the beginning of a flight, I'll say you know, knock knock, and and get the passengers to say who's there, and then I'll you know, and then I'll retort, well, nobody's there, we haven't left yet, you know, buckle up your seatbelts, and here we go. Okay, uh, you know, fun things like that. You yes. know what I mean? Uh, hey, there may be fifty ways to leave your lover, but there's only four ways out of this airplane, and I'll let Darlene <laughs> tell you more about that. Okay, or, you know, or, yeah. Uh, does anyone know where the keys are? I don't know where the keys are. Yeah, uh, familiar so, yeah, with, with some yeah, of these, these fun jokes. Yes, familiar with some of these fun jokes. But, uh, you know, I guess the, the report coming back is that you continued to talk throughout the whole flight. Is this true? Yeah, I, I had a lot of jokes that I wanted to get out there, you know. Uh, be, be sure to take all of your belongings off the plane, but if mm-hmm. you're going to leave anything, please make sure it's something that I'd like. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, okay. You know, things like, <laughs> out of the left side of the plane, you know, that's Hamilton. Out of the right side of the plane, that's the rest of the Golden Horseshoe. <laughs> if you're looking out of the front of the plane, what the heck are you doing up here? Get back there, you know, unless, <laughs> yeah. you're, unless you're Ken Barnes, who's my pilot, my okay. co-pilot. <laughs> yeah. So what is it exactly that you said, though, that got, uh, you know, several of the passengers on the flight right. uh, upset? 
well, you know, people respond differently. Uh, once, once one person finds funny, someone might find wildly offensive. Or, or you, know, you would be amazed at, at, at some people's um, just anger towards someone trying to make it funny. Sure. Uh, but in, in, this, in this particular instance, uh, I was, you know, into my uh, whole batch of blonde jokes. You know, just the whole... Ar- so did you say blonde jokes? Yeah, yeah. I have an arsenal of blonde jokes, and I usually do that in the second hour. And I think it just rubbed a couple people the wrong way, and, uh, you know, they took the time to, uh, you know, let their feelings and thoughts be heard to the upper brass of the airline, and they reached out to me and said, well, Bruce, uh, you know, you're under review here, so we're going to have to take a look at what happened. We're going to listen to the in-flight recorder, see what was said, uh, and we will have uh, have to get back to you as far as whether or not we are going to, uh, you know, give you your commercial license back. Okay. Well, I suppose, uh, finally, if, you're, if you yeah. are cleared to fly again, are you going to pull back on, uh, you know, perhaps? perhaps uh, uh, the comedy routine and, and, and focus on, I think, what most people would say is your job, which is to fly the plane. Well, the truth of the matter is, in a longer flight, uh, these planes fly themselves. Uh, so I, I think if, if I am reinstated, yes, I will. of course I'll do the same things. I probably will change up some of the material. I may not go back to that arsenal of blonde jokes. I think that was partially offensive. But I, of course I you know, would go back to the, the batch that works by what I consider to be my gold. You know, if you're uh, no smoking on the plane, the smoking area of the plane is out on the wing, so if you can light it, you can smoke it. <laughs> you know, just fun like that. Yeah, I, I've heard that one speaking. before. Yeah. I'm in the bathroom right now, and yeah. to prove that, here, listen to this, and then yeah. I'll just pour a little bit of water into a cup. <laughs> well, I want to thank you for being on the program to uh, tell your side of the story. Well, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Okay. And now, a This Is That documentary. On a sunny Saturday morning in an empty field near Victoria, British Columbia, a group of costume-clad battle enthusiasts gather for a reenactment of one of North America's lesser-known conflicts, the Pig War. Welcome to the Spanish Peninsula! Home of the Pig War reenactment! To better understand the historical context of the Pig War, I speak with historian Harvey Buckley. Well, the Pig War has a a very unique uh, distinction uh, as being one of the only battles uh, in history uh, in which uh, there were no casualties. Uh, There were no shots fired. uh, Nobody was injured uh, uh, at all. Uh, And so uh, during the actual reenactment of the Pig War, uh, there will be no casualties, there will be no one uh, dying, uh, well, except for the pig, uh, which uh, they do shoot. Ladies and gentlemen, the reenactment of the pig war is now beginning! <laughs> so, what, so what is the actual story then of the pig war? Right, well, on June 15th, uh, 1859, Lyman Cutler, an American farmer, moved to the San Juan Islands just off of... Uh, uh, the coast of Vancouver Island. And, and he would routinely find a large black pig uh, eating potatoes in his garden. Hey! What's that pig doing in my garden? The cutler was so upset that he took it upon himself to uh, go ahead and shoot the pig. Now, of course, the problem being is the, the, that the pig uh, that was shot uh, was owned by an Irishman by the name of Charlie Griffin. Uh, it's I, Charles Griffin! Irishman! Someone has shot my pig! Uh, 
an American. Son, son, take this message to the British. At that point, the conflict, it really quickly escalated. Uh, where British troops came in support of Charles Griffin and uh, American troops uh, came in support of Cutler. Okay, I shall send this message to the British. Okay, so and then that's they reenact that for the for the duration of the four days. Oh no 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 no! That happens in the first hour of the reenactment. Uh, the remaining four days are actually uh, the reenactment of the stalemate. Let the reenactment of the stalemate begin. And what? So what happens in the stalemate? Nothing. It's it's a stalemate. I mean, there's absolutely nothing going on. Just the two groups, uh, the British and the Americans, standing their ground, uh, waiting to see if the other uh, will in fact do something. I must admit that I'm a bit confused to hear that basically for the next four days, nothing will be happening. I head over to the American camp to better understand how some of the reenactors will be filling their time. In my role, actually, I'm night watchman, and it's great. I get the chance to sit out, uh, you know, up on the, the bluff there, and I know no one's coming. So <laughs> some of the best reading I get done is during this week, actually. I read three books. Uh, I'm Rear Admiral uh, Carter Barnes, and uh, predominantly I am in charge of ensuring that all of the artillery is uh, kept uh, ready, even though I know uh, they will not be shot. Uh, to be honest with you, I'm not really into any of this shit. But truth be told, this is kind of the best campground on the in the peninsula, right? So if you sign up for this, a buddy told me, you know, you sign up for this, they get basically it's free camping for like a week, right? As predicted, and I suppose as history tells us, three days pass where pretty much nothing happens. As far as I can tell, for the most part, people are reenacting camping. But on day four, a buzz starts to circulate on both sides of the battlefield. Reenactors are preparing for what they call the War of Words. Ah, yes, the War of Words, right. Uh, well, for the reenactors, uh, this is in many ways is kind of the, the highlight of the entire four days, uh, which uh, gives uh, both on the American side and the British side, it gives uh, them the opportunity to get creative and uh, hurl back and forth at one another uh, insults. What shall your queen do for you now? You, sir, are you referring to me, sir? Perhaps you are the Queen of England. This, in many ways, uh, kind of uh, pays homage to, uh, uh, you know, what would have been happening over the course of about four years. Uh, although, you know, no gunfire, there would have been terse words. Yeah. Does that uniform come in a gentleman's style? Or just the ladies? <laughs> that night, both camps seemed to be in a celebratory mood. From what I'm told, the War of Words has been an incredible success. And in the morning, the reenactment of the Pig War will come to an end. Well, in truth, you know, the actual Pig War ended uh, very slowly, kind of uh, fizzled out, as it were. Though the way that the reenactors do it, uh, of course, is that they meet at uh, midfield, they shake hands, and then they barbecue the pig. Same pig from the beginning of the... Yes, yes, the pig they shot on day one. Although the pig war was one of the less eventful wars in our history, somehow it feels appropriately Canadian. No shots were fired, and the most violent it ever got was the exchange of a few terse words. But as far as reenactments go, I will not be returning next year. The pig war reenactment is a 2 out of 10 at best. 
Oh, this is delicious. I mean, what did they feed this pig? Apples? So sweet. For This Is That, I'm Pat Kelly. Well, that was another episode of This Is That from CBC Podcasts. This show was created and performed by me, Pat Kelly. And by me, Peter Oldring. With additional voices supplied by... Charlie Demers. And Scott Vroman. Production support by Kelly and Kelly. Head of production, Lauren Berkovich. Senior producer and sound designer, Chris Kelly. Additional editing by Max Collins. Special thanks to Mike Belazzo and Chris Straw. Roshni Nair is our digital coordinating producer. Executive producers are Cecil Fernandez and Chris Oak. Tanya Springer is the senior manager of CBC Podcasts, and Arif Nurani is the director. Thanks for listening, and remember, if it's not this, then it must be that. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.